You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapun. Remind me to tell you later. Tick tick. You sure you don't want any? I don't really partake. I mean, sometimes, but it's not my go-to. I'm more of a nervous eater. See yourself. I've got a joint if you want to try. Oh. I've never done it before. What, really? How long have you been living in Toronto? <laughs> I mean, it just never came up, but... Try once, I guess. Take it slow, girl. Oh, 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 damn. That, uh, that works. How are you feeling? Like I didn't know my body was holding that much pain until it was all gone. Huh. How about you? The buzz is definitely kicking in, but I'm not looking forward to sad drinking if we're all quiet. You said you want to tell me a story? Story? Oh, oh, um, the thick thick story. Yeah. If you're okay with hearing it. I will be in about a minute. Maybe I'll get a little more insight into how you got to be the way you got to be. <laughs> That's a little like what Donner said when I told him about the demon baby. The what? No, wait. You can tell me after this one. Sure, if you're still up for it. My cousin Nia moved to New Zealand a while back, right when she graduated from college. Lived a lot of her life over there, met her fiancé. She was always close with her mama and Lola, her grandma, my my great-aunt, something-something removed. My great-aunt, Lola Aming, lived in a remote area south from where I lived. It was a kind that was big enough for a stable internet connection, but small enough that you could name the one richest family running the joint. Partly because they also made up the local government five generations running. Gotta keep the family business going. The only family they couldn't scare into line was Amings, but that's another story. It was a couple years back. My cousin got a call from her mama, my tita, um, auntie, Mai, that Lola Aming had to get rushed to the hospital for a fever that knocked her down for a good few weeks. Tita Mai was always a chill sort of lady, never really pressured Nia into anything. I think she had it in her head that Nia had a much better life in the land of sheep and honey than the town by the mountain she grew up, but this time? This time, she begged Nia to come home. Watch the house while she took care of Lola Aming in the hospital. Nia, no questions asked, packed up to spend the month in her Lola's old home out in the far-flung reaches of nowhere. Her fiancé, Nigel, (laughs) Nia and Nigel, they were great for each other. I met him once. He seemed nice. Asked if he could come along. He wanted to be there for her in her time of need, meet her family in person. Nia hadn't gone home in years, and Nigel absolutely wanted to see where she grew up. Nia said no. Must have been strange for Nigel. Nia was like her mama, easygoing, sweet, never a pushover, but certainly never pushy. And perhaps never quite this serious.
From what I heard, it took him days of asking to convince Nia to let him go in the first place. At first, it was a fight. One of the few fights they ever had. They were the kind of couple that rarely disagreed on things, and Nia had never acted the way she did in the week before she left for home. They didn't have it in them to fight for long, and Nigel eventually got her to tell him why she was so adamant he stay while she went alone. She told him it was too dangerous. She didn't tell him much more than that, though he knew what kind of town she'd grown up in. Nigel was the kind of guy who thought that skydiving was a fun summertime activity, and fair to him, there was a lot of that going on in New Zealand, so danger to him was more an invitation than a warning. More than once, Nigel suggested an outing, to which Nia would say, You're crazy! And without a beat, Nigel would respond with, You make me crazy. They were like that. Silly, a little stupid, and really, really sweet. But he knew Nia wouldn't invoke the word dangerous slightly, so he begged and pleaded, and eventually, Nia caved. On one condition. He needed to do everything she said. No questions asked. And Nigel took it as a challenge. Promised Nia he would follow her lead. They both took the flight to the Philippines, and the long drive back to Nia's hometown took a winding path around mountains and forests, past rolling fields worked by tired farmers, and eventually came to Nia's hometown. Their first stop, oddly, wasn't Nia's home, but the local convenience store. Nia explained that her Lola's home was a little ways away, right at the foot of the mountain that stood vigil over this little town, and they had to stock up on what supplies they'd need just in case. They were to watch the house, Nigel knew. Watch it against what, he wondered, as he helped Nia load groceries into the van. Hearing Nia speak her own language so quickly and comfortably was a nice change, even though Nigel felt just a little bit adrift. While Nia was chatting up the locals, many of whom recognized her once her newfound foreignness left away, Nigel stood by the car and saw another van being loaded right down the road. In order, a tall clay pot, looking like it had come from the Spanish era, and then an enormous cage that might have fit a very large dog covered in a sheet. He could see long claws and a strangely thick tail before the cage was loaded into the van, and Nigel wondered what strange animals must have been roaming the nearby mountain. The Donsmen, said Nia, when he pointed them out. Their family owns the Hashenda that overlooks this town. Like a, a plantation. Generations of them since the Spanish era. They own this town, or... Well, most of it. Most? Nigel asked. Well, <laughs> my Lola was always out of their reach. They eventually arrived in Lola Aming's home. It stood 
looming, stately, beautiful, and impossibly old. Much deeper into the forest it led down from the mountain than Nigel had anticipated. Old, dark wood carved into intricate, swirling shapes, translucent cappy's shell windows, and even the figure of a sarimanok, an elaborate, colorful maned chicken leaning over the front door. It had clearly been well-maintained for a house that, by Nia's estimation, had been her own grandmother's childhood home. The one thing that caught Nigel's attention, however, was the presence of heavy-looking wood beams resting against the side of the thick front and back doors, like they were meant to barricade a fortress rather than lock a house up against would-be intruders, unlikely in an area so remote. He asked about it when Nia unloaded their food. In amongst all the meat and vegetables, there were other items, strange foodstuffs Nia claimed reminded her of her childhood, and an unusual amount of garlic that he attributed to whatever meal she was about to prepare. The latches, she said, were for the wild animals, as were the locks on the windows. It was a problem her Lola had contended with her entire life, it seemed. It wasn't until they finished their early dinner that Nigel began to understand Nia's ultimatum, to do everything she said without question. It began when she asked him to help her prepare garlic for the doors. When he made a joke about vampires living in the mountains, she gave him the same look she'd given when she first told him not to come along, and he did as he was told, hanging garlic by the doors and windows which Nia then locked up tight as the sun began to set over the mountain. For the animals, she said, to drive them away. That night, tired from the long trip, thoughts swirling as he looked back at his fiancée's strange behavior, Nigel fell asleep, with Nia joining him after she checked every door and window in the house. He awoke in the middle of the night when he heard it. Loud. Strangely loud. Like... There was something in the room with them. He lit his phone up and looked around, catching that it was well past midnight as he shone his flashlight across the old boards, blinding himself for a moment when he flashed it directly into the closet mirror. Then he heard it again. Right above him, he looked up and... Nothing. There was nothing there. He eased back into the sheets when he realized Nia was sleeping soundly, seemingly unbothered by the sound he was still hearing from somewhere close by. He looked at the cappy's window, shut tight so he could only see the vague shadows of trees against the bare light of the waning moon and the outer yard light. He watched the wind make the shapes dance, and even with a loud ticking of a strange animal he'd never seen in his life, he fell back asleep. Angel, wake up. Now! When next Nigel woke, Nia was already pulling him out of bed, 
Her grip on his arm was surprisingly tight, and she caught him as he nearly stumbled. We have to get to the basement, she said, and he didn't understand. He could hear the same strange noise, but it was so quiet now. So far away. He saw the look in Nia's eyes, and that woke him up just enough to follow her as she rushed down the steps. The basement was dark, a bit musty, but not as dust-cake as he expected, as though it still saw regular use. He saw on his way down the old steps that the door had a latch similar to the ones he'd seen earlier. Heavy and thick, as though prepared for something much bigger than seemed possible in a house at the edge of a small provincial town. In the basement itself was a mattress laid out on the floor, big enough to fit two people. Nia dug through the nearby storage closet for pillows and blankets, saying they could ride out the evening down here where it was cooler. Nigel begged her to explain why, but Nia... Well, she had nothing to say that night, except to remind Nigel of his promise. As you can probably imagine, Nigel was hardly satisfied with that. A thousand arguments on the tip of his tongue, but maybe it was the way Nia looked. Resigned, knowing, unreasonably calm. So he crawled into bed right there with her, and they fell asleep the rest of the strangely long night. In the morning, when they crept out of the basement, Nia checked the doors and windows, and Nigel saw the garlic hanging by them, shriveled, turned black in the morning sun. There were scratches outside the second floor windows that Nigel could see when he really paid attention. Nia, for her part, was more concerned with the enormous, deep scores in the back door. They didn't speak the whole day. Not until Nigel asked her what was happening, and all she said was, I wish you hadn't come. They spent another night that way. Garlic hung. Doors barricaded. Nia seemed to have trouble sleeping, fitful and miserable. When she ran to the bathroom to puke, Nigel tried to follow, but she shut the door on him, so he thought to give her space. He fell asleep, hoping things would look better in the morning. He woke up in the middle of the night to hear the distant, quiet sound, and seeing something strange when he looked up at the ceiling, like afterimages dancing in his vision he saw a strange, undulating worm. No. Much too long to be a worm. Like a snake without a head, leading back into the shadowed ceiling. Nia was beside him, asleep, and he loathed to wake her after the night she'd had, but he shook her awake anyway. Arm gripped tight as her eyes snapped open and she saw what he did. He was up on his feet before she was, and they both made their way down to the basement, not a word exchanged between them. He didn't realize until they were settled into the mattress 
basement door locked behind them, that Neo was crying. The next morning, though well into noon by that point, Nia kissed Nigel awake. The first words she spoke to him since the day before last were, Thank you. And what was left of their morning seemed so much more normal. She said she needed to resupply in town and asked Nigel to watch the house, telling him to ignore whatever he heard in the forest behind the stately old home. No matter what you hear, she said, it isn't real. Please stay in the house. And he did. He took photos of the scratches, took some old boards he found in the basement, and did what he could to cover them up. At this point, Nigel had no idea what was going on, but he'd always been the pragmatic sort, always doing what he could, control what he could control. Sometime in the afternoon, a couple of cars pulled in. Not entirely unfamiliar, Nigel had seen them in town. One of them was the van he'd seen being loaded down the road, though both Claypot and Cage were now absent from its back from what he could see. One of the five men greeted him in English. When they asked if he was the husband, he didn't correct them, but didn't let them in when they made moves to enter Nia's family home. He didn't know what they wanted. He didn't know what was going on. All he knew was that he trusted his fiancée and hoped she wouldn't leave him in the dark. They left, eventually, after one of them saw the scratches Nigel tried to cover up. He said something in the language Nigel couldn't understand, and the others laughed. When he was alone again, that was when he heard the crying. The cries of a baby drifting down from the forest. He wanted so badly to find it, to help, but he remembered what Nia told him, and he stayed. It sounded so close, like it was right there with him at one point, like the strange clicking he heard in the night. Eventually, Nia came back. The sun would set soon, and she hurriedly hung the garlic she'd bought from the store. Nigel told her about the men, asked her if it might be a better idea to spend the night in the basement. She agreed, and they locked the house up tight, settling in the basement that night. Nigel didn't ask any more questions until... Nia did. I don't understand, she said. How could you stay? How could you keep doing this? It was hard for me to find the words. I didn't want you to leave me if you knew. There's so much, too much for any man to take, and I... But Nigel interrupted her, lacing their hands together. We can talk about it in the morning. I think we both deserve some uninterrupted sleep for once. That set Nia laughing, and it seemed like she couldn't stop. You're crazy, Nia said. You make me crazy, he'd said back, cheesy and in love as ever. 
So they slept soundly that night, even as something broke through the old Cappy's shell window, even as the distant ticking sounds seemed to multiply, and something powerful broke the back door down, splintering it inward, even as something crept around the first floor of the house, searching for something, or someone, that wasn't there. Nigel awoke when something began to throw itself against the basement door, but Nia kept sleeping. He listened to that sound over and over until morning, and he eventually fell asleep. In the morning, Nigel finally woke to find Nia gone and the basement door wide open. It was splattered with dried blood, an enormous stain in front of it indicating that something had died there, already cleared away. He found the back door broken through, covered in blood where something had brute-forced its way into the house. Garlic so blackened that when he tapped one, it shriveled into dust. Eventually, his nose and the sound of sizzling led him to the kitchen, where Nia was preparing a dish of sizzling chopped meat. Sisig, a delicious Filipino favorite, which I could use some right now, and looking in a much better mood than she'd been since they arrived, humming a jaunty tune. She greeted him then, with great news. She was pregnant. She confirmed it, and... How strange that she just knew. She told him she knew on the second night, but was afraid to bring it up until everything had been settled. They celebrated by eating breakfast and lunch together all at once in a grand feast she prepared that very morning. She then explained everything to her husband-to-be, told him everything he needed to know about the strange sounds they heard in the night, about the thing that had broken in and died in her home, about the grand old house and the rich man who wanted it for his own. They spent the rest of the day fixing the old house as best as they could. The strange men came back in the afternoon, accompanied by the old man Nia identified as the Don. Neither Nia nor Nigel had much to say to appease him, though Nia invited him to enjoy her party leftovers. He departed much more enraged than he arrived. The rest of the week passed much more calmly, especially when Nia's mama arrived. They were ecstatic when Nia told her the good news, no matter how strange the circumstances that led her to learn it. Nia didn't know nearly as much as her mama did, so they were finally able to sleep in their room as Tita made preparations. Tita Mai, you see, was, in many ways, like my own nanai, like me. It was something she never passed on to Nia, though... Clearly, she gave her just enough knowledge to get by. Nigel finally got to spend time with his fiancée's family. 
All his questions were answered when he asked them. He'd proven himself trustworthy enough to know. So the next time he saw enormous black wings folded up like a bat hanging upwards, he had nothing to say. When he heard a baby's cries and the strange echo beneath, trying desperately to lure him to the forest, he paid it no mind. And even when he heard the ticking sounds, loud enough to bother him in the night, but no longer quiet and distant-sounding, signaling the arrival of long tongues seeking a meal growing in his wife-to-be, he slept soundly through the night. Ah, oh, yikes. But wow, good for Nigel, huh? <laughs> we met at their wedding. Great guy. Did you say that Nia explained it to him? Yeah. But you do realize you didn't bother explaining what all that was to me, right? What? Oh, God, sorry. I think that blunt got to me more than I thought. Um, right, so there are these creatures, right? They're called Tick Tick, and, um... You're listening to Hainai by Motsi Dapul. Hey everyone, this is Raj Heli, co-creator and co-producer of Hainai. Hainai is a podcast produced by Motsi Dapul and me and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike 4.0 international license. Today's episode was written and directed by Motsi Dapul, who also plays the role of Mary Dutuin. The role of Laura was played by Abigail Rhodes. To help support the production of Hainai, you can buy us a milk tea at coffee or subscribe to our coffee gold at coffee.com slash hainaipod. That's ko-fi.com slash hainaipod. Or you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash hainaipod. This episode is part of a special Patreon or Coffee Gold exclusive series called Remind Me to Tell You Later. So if you want to listen to more of these episodes, be sure to check these channels out. You can also check out official Hainai merchandise on our Redbubble store at redbubble.com slash people slash Hainaipod. Hainai is available on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can find the links to these channels along with news and updates on our official blog, hainaipod.tumblr.com. If you get to listen, leave us a rating and review while you're at it. It really helps us a lot. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at hainaipod. Once again, thanks for all your support and thanks for listening. <laughs>